0: I'm Alex Monzad, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. To start us off today, our first topic is around uh, Plat, the platform ETF that we worked with Wisdom Tree on. It's Wisdom Tree's ETF. It's basically the only uh, ETF comprised exclusively of platform business stocks. There were about 80 or so stocks in this, and the ETF launched in May of 2019. So it's been about 15 months that it's been out. You can see this article here. New look, lower fee for a potent platform ETF. So it was, it was just kind of rebalanced and repositioned. Uh, Wisdom Tree made it their primary growth fund, which is a pretty big deal. WisdomTree has, I think, over like 70 or $80 billion in assets across all of their different ETFs. And now... Uh, Plat has become their primary growth ETF. So basically, there's two schools of investing: value and growth investing. Value investors are looking for, you know, like uh, stocks that have value. Typically, not your tech companies, right? Which have very high multiples. You know, the the value argument is much harder to justify with these tech companies because the multiples are so crazy. So the tech companies fit into the growth bucket. So basically, what Wisdom Tree has said is, hey. Our growth fund is plat and the best and most powerful and highest growing tech stocks are platform stocks. So it's really interesting how, um, you know, a, a very sophisticated, uh, you know, financial product instrument house, like, like wisdom tree has embraced platform business model conceptually and made this their forefront growth fund. Um, so. Um I think it's a very wise decision not to mention we helped them create the product about 15 months ago as I, as I, or it launched about 15 months ago, as I mentioned. So I want to just kind of look at um, a few stats that we have here. If you go to Wisdom Tree's site, you can see this, this is just, you know, informational page on Wisdom Tree's site. So there's the ETF, which is plat and the ETF Tracks and index. It's it's a little bit of a technicality. If you want to dive into it, you can learn more about the index by clicking this link. Basically, what it's doing is saying what are the top platform business stocks, and that's what Applico helps to identify. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a second. And then we put all those stocks into a basket, and the ETF trades on the performance of the underlying. We have roughly fifty stocks in it currently of the underlying fifty stocks and their respective weighting in this basket. So I'm going to jump into all this right. Um, basically the expense ratio was about 45 basis points. You'll see that here. Um, now it is 20. So that means that if you you know for if you have a a million dollars that let's say you put a million dollars into the ETF, the the fee you're paying is 0.2%. That's 20% basis points on that million dollars. It's kind of like the the management fee. It's what they call the expense ratio. Uh basically this is very low, right? If you mutual funds are mostly around like two percent ish, maybe they're coming down to like one and a half. Um they're certainly, you know, one over one percent usually or one to two percent, somewhere in that range. Um the expense ratio on this Used to be 45 basis points. So now, because they are saying, hey, this is our primary growth fund, you know, what they're saying is uh, we're going to lower the expense ratio on this and we're going to just, you know, try and get more volume, more dollars invested into this because guess what? The ETF has done pretty well. So if you keep going down and you look at uh, the performance, so year to date, this is of August 5th. So starting January 1st, 2020 through August uh, 4th or 5th, uh, 2020, it's up 31%. So if you put $10,000 in January 1st, 2020, you would have $13,138. That's what this is showing you. Now you can actually dig deeper. If you look since inception, since May of 2019, it's actually up 46%. It's crazy. Um Forty-six percent, and then you can compare it to the S and P five hundred. So May of twenty nineteen till today, S and P five hundred ten thousand dollars. You'd have a little under twelve thousand dollars. Plat, you'd have fourteen thousand six hundred twenty-eight dollars. You know, Plat's really broken away. Um, You know, basically, a lot of what we talk about on the show is that these platform stocks. You know, the platform stocks when you go into a dip, the the platform stocks are these platform monopolies, they're going to dip less and they're going to bounce back faster. And that's actually exactly what we've seen here. Um if you look going into the dip, it dips less and then they bounce back faster. You know, conceptually it makes sense. It's what a lot we've spoken about on the show and now we're seeing it in the data. Uh, and a few other interesting things, you know, that we're going to go over and in looking at Platt. Um, but so I had some of our uh, finance team pull together some stats that I thought would be interesting to list off. So um, this year, Platt has outperformed the SP 500 um, by about 28%. Uh, as I mentioned, I think Platt's up around 31% this year, and uh, the SP 500 is up about 2.5% and change. So there's about a 28% differential between. Uh, Platt and the S&P 500, that's this year, 2020. PLAT has outperformed all of the top eight largest and most popular growth ETFs year to date by a significant margin. I'm about to show you that. It has also outperformed similar kind of tech uh, I- index ETFs um, by, by significant margins as well. You can see this. So this is uh, 2020 year to date, right? So January 1st, 2020 through uh, August 5th. This is a you can see um, the S and P 500 down there. You can see QQQ, that's the Nasdaq 100. You can see some other kind of tech-oriented ETFs and and mainstream ETFs, right? Like S and P 500 and how Platt has done compared to these. And basically, the takeaway is Platt's beaten all of them. Um, And why has Platt beaten all of them? Because these are not only these winner-take-all, you know, high-growth businesses, but they have these network effects. They have such defensible barriers compared to even other tech companies that would be linear, but still high growth, right? We're seeing the power of these platform businesses um, really propel propel it into a league of its own. Um, now, the interesting thing uh, pre and post this rebalance, so leading up to basically last week, Platt had about eighty companies in it that were all equal weighted um what what happened in the past week when wisdom tree uh changed the name made it the primary growth fund um, the the number of companies in the etf shrank from about eighty to fifty they adopted a Instead of purely equal weight, so if you have eighty companies, you know each one is worth one percent and change. It's all equally weighted in the in the basket. Now they adopted basically it's market weight and equal weight, um, basically divided. And so you have some equal weighting and some market weight. So that means that you don't have FAMGA um, dominating, you know, eighty percent of the index, but you still have market cap. Um, and the power and scale of the platform business, the platform conglomerate, has some influence on how, on how much weighting is given to that respective stock. Does that make sense? So it's, it's a little bit of a diluted version of market cap weighting, right? Because otherwise, Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft would just be so dominant. Um, but but there, is, you know, there is some importance in scale as we see with platform businesses, right? So what we talk a lot about on the show is the ability to have platform conglomerate status. So as you do have a larger market cap, it is safe to assume that you would not just have one platform business, but multiple platform businesses. And you truly kind of be in that platform conglomerate status. Um, so that was some of the thinking around why wanting to bring in more of that, um, you know, some more of that market cap weight into into the balance of the basket. So you can see the change in the name before and now. You can see the expense ratio, right? 45 to 20. Um, Revenue growth eligibility. So so we put a requirement around having 7% revenue growth uh, on these companies. So, you know, there were some interesting platform stocks in that initial 80 basket, which... You know, which had kind of been around for a long time, but they didn't really have much growth. They were platforms, multi-billion-dollar platforms, but kind of, you know, they hadn't broken out into platform conglomerate status. They didn't have huge growth prospects. So Wisdom Tree put this growth qualifier on um, the, uh, you know, the 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 stocks that can be in the basket. Um, they also limited the exposure internationally. So entire international exposure is now limited to twelve percent before this previously you probably had about 12 to 15 percent from China and and you had maybe another 10 percent or so from Europe so you had maybe 25 30 percent international exposure now this is down to 12 percent in total and China is limited to five percent pretty interesting dynamic you can see other just line up here of other indices um, and how how Plat has compared has performed against them um, but yeah, look, I mean, my thought on it is these platforms are just are just going to continue to uh, continue to dominate. And, and, and if there was any regulatory fear, the last live stream that we had looking at those judicial hearings, I mean, uh, I think there is little to none risk about these companies being broken up in the next five to 10 years. I'd say zero percent chance. I think there is a role for regulation. Um, but it's not breaking them up. It's it's really to protect suppliers. We've spoken about this at Infinitum on the show, protecting producers and suppliers as opposed to consumers. That's light years away from actually you know breaking these companies up. So I, I we don't think there's too much regulatory risk here. And you're just going and and because of COVID and the shift to digital and all these kinds, of, we're just going to see platforms continue uh, to outperform. Another interesting stat our guys put together was uh, the energy sector has has been pretty volatile. Hasn't been too well. Uh, Platt does not have any energy sector stocks. Uh, there are no platforms in the energy sector. It's just extremely consolidated. It's it's you know there's so much. It's big contract dollar, uh, big dollar contracts that are signed. It's it's very nuanced. There's a lot of logistics. Very heavy stuff. It's um highly regulated. It's just been very, it's very tough for a platform to penetrate energy. So there's actually zero energy exposure and energy really hasn't done well at all. Um, and is very volatile. So, um, we're going to have more analysis on this. We're going to have one of wisdom trees analysts come on the show, uh, this coming Monday, and we're going to talk to her more about, um, you know, the, the different changes that we made. And uh, the, some of the new companies that were added because we've had new companies that have IPOed in the past, you know, twelve months or so, uh, that were that that meet, met the criteria after IPOing, and so some of those were added. And we're going to talk more about the basket, go into more detail uh, with Caroway and the Wisdom Tree analysts on Monday. So that's going to be very exciting. The other thing to talk about here is platform revenue. So you know, what is Applico's role in this whole relationship with Wisdom Tree? Uh, it's not our fund; it's WisdomTree's Tree's fund. What we are doing is basically helping to provide data to Wisdom Tree to say, here are the companies with platform revenue. And if you think about this concept of platform revenue, there's no way you can pull that up in a Bloomberg terminal. It is a very nuanced thing to identify. So even platform conglomerates, even the, the strongest platform companies, Amazon, for example, has linear revenue and they have platform revenue right and that platform revenue is simply the revenue coming from a platform business and so you know when you think how do you calculate platform revenue what you need to do is identify here is the platform business and then how is that platform business monetized right and and very often you will have linear revenue streams that are built on top of that platform business, right? So Amazon, obviously, they take their platform revenue from a product marketplace is them taking a a take rate on the product that a third-party seller sells, right? It's usually say 10 to 15% roughly of a transaction fee from the third-party seller. That's why I say third-party sellers are Amazon's customers. That's actually who they're making money from. Linear revenue for Amazon would be the things that are coming from fulfilled by Amazon, right? Like when they charge a seller rental revenue um, you know, to store products in the warehouse or fulfillment fees, the revenue that they're making from their white label products or their 1P sales where they're acting as a reseller, right? So it's hard because not all these companies break out the information as you would hope. So fortunately we were able to go to some investor conferences and and things like that to try and to try and ask questions to uh to these to these uh platform companies when we get the chance. That's kind of a big wrench has been thrown into that because of COVID. But nonetheless, right, what you're trying to do is say, okay, how much of this is linear revenue, how much of this is platform revenue. And then we've identified eight different types of platform businesses in the book. And so, what we said is, okay, here are the different thresholds. And we worked with Wisdom Tree on this. What should be the appropriate threshold of platform revenue by platform type? Right. Because what you're going to see is that, for example, a product marketplace like Amazon is going to have a much lower ratio of linear revenue to platform revenue because you have a lot of product marketplaces that are acting as a one piece seller and a three piece seller. You have that dynamic versus. Say um, development platforms, right, versus content platforms that had advertising revenue. So, advertising revenue for a content platform or a social media platform is a very different thing to look at than you know take rate revenue from a product marketplace. So, you really need to look at platform revenue on a platform type basis, right? And then against those platform types, so you have product marketplaces, service marketplaces, you have investment. Uh, platforms. You have payment platforms. So payment platforms would be like we've got Amex, Visa, Mastercard in there, right? Investment platforms would be like Market Access, which is a bond trading platform. Um, does phenomenally well. And then you have social networks. You have communication and collaboration platforms. You have um, content platforms and and development. A couple of different types of development platforms. So. We look at that and then we provide that data to WisdomTree to say, hey, here's the platform revenue that they have. Wisdom Tree can make the determination if they fit the different thresholds or not. But really what it comes down to is how do you figure out what platform revenue is? And how do you calculate that? And and that is really the determinant for what goes in the basket or not. Because we get questions all the time that says, well, you know, why isn't this, why isn't Shopify in plat? And I've I've spoken about that in the past, right? You have businesses that have platform businesses right shopify but but the but the question is do they have a material amount of platform revenue for them to be included in the basket right and so the answer for Shopify is they actually have a couple different platform businesses a product marketplace with shop and then a d- development platform with app with an app marketplace um, but that neither of those, and either individually or collectively, contribute a material amount of revenue to Shopify's business. That could change in the future, and that's what we track. And so they could be included in the index in the future, but right now, it's not a material amount of their business. If you want to look deeper into the full portfolio of what is in Plat, you can go to this Wisdom Tree page. And if you go to the bottom, you'll see, hey, here are the top 10 holdings. Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Visa, MasterCard, old school platforms, been around for decades. Platforms though, extremely strong network effects. Visa, MasterCard, and Amex. Amex is in here, but but they're just not on this top holdings page. They take a take rate on the volume going through their payment platform network. Extremely strong business. PayPal, Alibaba, Tencent. Then you can go in here and you can see the full list of everything by weight. So match group, booking. That's the other interesting thing about this. Platt has exposure to hospitality. Platt has booking. We have Expedia, you'll see in here farther down. We have Yelp in here. Um, so Platt has exposure to the restaurant industry. Um, to uh you know, you've got um Uh, Travel and hospitality in here, you know, it has it has a horizontal exposure except for energy um, across a variety of different industries. You've got Chegg in here in the education industry, right? Um, They've done phenomenally well with the shift to uh, you know remote education. You have CoStar, uh, big in the real estate industry, right? We you got Redfin in here, you got Zillow in here from real estate, right? So. You have a nice cross-section of a lot of different industries, but the point is, what are the strongest tech comp- or what are the strongest companies you know, namely tech companies, in every one of these verticals, in every one of these industries? And more often than not, you will find that the answer is it's the dominant platform company in that industry, right? That is the best form of tech company. That is the best form of growth company um, in that industry. And that's you know pretty much how uh, all of this came about. And um, Farfetch is in here. Yandex is in here. It's like Google and Russia. You got got Ping on healthcare in here. That's a great story of of a linear insurance company spinning off uh, this healthcare marketplace platform. Amazing. We've spoken about that on the show. Really cool company. So that's some of the rebounds. You can go farther down. You can also view more of this broken out kind of by industry. You know if you really want to look at the full list, just click on this view all holdings button and and you'll be able to see everything. So let's talk about this example of square. Why is square not in uh, plat? This is an interesting tweet. guy was talking about square's gross payment volume. So the cash app for square is a platform. It's a payment platform. This thing shows their gross payment volume. yes, it's down, um, but it's still very strong you know it's still it's still a it's still a um, sizable amount of volume. And what this guy is tweeting about is basically here, um, Square can drive demand from their cash app users. My highlight's not working too well. From their cash app users to their sellers. So these are merchants uh, via boost and other methods, and they can help capitalize those small, medium-sized sellers to be prepared for the demand. Not many other companies can do that. With this guy, Kermit, Kermit Capital is uh, discussing is that if you think about Square's business, what Square grew up as was not a platform. What Square grew up as was as a, um, a like easy to use, you know, credit card terminal for small, medium sized entrepreneur businesses. That's what Square grew up as. And by the way, that's still the majority of Square's revenue. That's why they're not in plat what Square has tried to do and Jack Dorsey has tried to do, and they've tried to do this in a few different ways over the years is get, how do you get that, that red hot platform business, right? Which is then going to supercharge your other linear businesses. So instead of most companies kind of they IPO on the platform and then they try to build other linear revenue streams on top of that, I got an example of that at the end of the show, instead of going from platform to linear revenue streams, uh, Square went IPO at linear and then has been trying to figure out how do I get a platform? Um, they bought caviar for food delivery and then they sold that off recently. Um, so they tried that out in food delivery. Yeah, I mean, they made money on that deal, but it didn't become that, that red hot central platform kind of monopoly for them. The cash app has been their best, uh, you know, best shot at this yet and it's working. But when we look at their revenue, so transaction based revenue here this is their 10k is two almost 2.5 billion dollars subscription and services based revenue that's where um that's where the fees from the cash app come through like if you want to advance money into your bank account then you know you can you can pay a square fee and then the money will show up instantly in your bank account right so they they make some fees on that but it but it's a it's a derivative it's kind of coming off these uh these transactions and flow of money through the cash app, which is their payment platform business, right? but there are other things in this subscription and services based revenue bucket separate from just uh the, they call it like instant deposits or something in here. but even you take all that together, even if it was all of this five six hundred million dollar revenue item, you can see that you know the cash app still has has more room to grow right the the their primary revenue is still coming off of transaction-based revenue, which is the fees from their terminal product, right? And th- that's not a platform business. Um, it could be a sticky business. It could be a great business. I'm not saying it's a bad business. All I'm saying is, is it a platform or not? And no, it's not. So they have some platform revenue, but it's not a material part of their platform revenue. I mean, of their overall revenue mix. Therefore, Square uh, is not in plat the platform index the platform etf right makes sense um so that's a lot of what we look at when we when we put these numbers together and and all this kind of stuff now let's shift to one of my favorite topics we've i've spoken about this many times on the show uh microsoft and tiktok is is now the latest iteration of it but here's a video i did uh this was july 22nd this was a few weeks ago let's let's hear what we were talking about then You got to spin it off. I think that's probably the only way that this thing is going to survive. It needs to be a separate entity from China Bite Dance. And now this article just came out. It looks like they might be exploring a TikTok sale. This to me is an inevitable future state. TikTok will be spun off. Now, the question is Will TikTok's product and engineering and product and development resources, who are all in China, basically be transitioned out. Now, this doesn't need to happen right away. I don't expect you to fire a 1,000 people or whatever the number is in China and say, okay, great. We sold TikTok. Now we're going to fire all of you. You're gone. No, I give you like maybe two years. And I think that's generous. Two years to rapidly transition, 80 plus percent or maybe 100%. I don't know, maybe, maybe three years for 100%. You could have milestones, right? Like after a year, this much. Two years, this much. Three years, 100%. Three years, 100%. All product and engineering needs to be done outside of China. You get the idea. We're saying TikTok needs to be spun off. Um, and now we have Microsoft. So Microsoft is saying here they could buy TikTok for as much as $30 billion. And um, I don't know. You know. Basically, they give you a $20 billion range. Not very informative. But this was the key term here. Microsoft has already agreed to transfer all of TikTok's code from China to the US within one year if the deal goes through, which they're saying is could be 15 million lines of code. And, oh man, I mean, you just think about how there's a lot of execution risk with this deal. Let me put it that way. Apparently, by the way, this is only for the TikTok US business so I have no idea what that means you know what happens to TikTok in Europe uh right and who knows even just the technicality of of pulling this off okay you got to assume that no one messes with the source code and they give you good source code let's assume that that goes over right and then and then what you now need to do is you know like are there any are there any like back doors in the source code, right? Like the whole thing was that you were trying to separate this from China for all these privacy and security concerns, 15 million lines of code. I mean, how would you actually even detect that or scrub through it? Assuming you got it and assuming, you know, the okay, hopefully, you know, and say, okay, there's nothing malicious in here. So you got to make sure that. And then the second thing is, now what do you do with all these engineers in China? Are you still going to let them work on the product? How are they going to work if now you're kind of locking down the code in the US? And oh, by the way, that, you know, if, if those engineers have access to the data and the code, then the Chinese government has access to the data and the code. So, you know, now you've got to do what I was talking about in that initial video. You got to figure out this personnel transfer. They haven't even started talking about that what do you do with all these Chinese engineers and, and, and how does Microsoft, you know, create a separate team in the United States? Oh my Lord. You know, honestly, like it sounds good on the surface. We're going to buy this business and yada, yada, yada. I, I just, I I just, I, I really wouldn't want to buy it. It is just tough. You know, honestly, what I'd probably want to try and do is is like by TikTok and by Triller. Triller is a somewhat similar version to TikTok, it doesn't have the scale. Um, you know, I'd say TikTok engineering-wise, you know, it's loading videos faster, it's a much more seamless experience than Triller. But I just feel like if you're going to spend 10 to $30 billion on something, apparently is trying to raise money on a billion dollar valuation. You want a U.S.-based entity where if now you've gotten all the data, you got all the data from TikTok and you got all the users from TikTok, you know, and now if you're just talking about what technology product do they use, you know, part of me says I would much prefer to take the data and put that into Triller, which has a team in the United States which I don't have any of these concerns about what's going on. Is there any funny business with the source code? And, you know, how am I gonna separate culture and people and code? And, you know, how do you cut that cord? Like that to me, I, I would probably prefer to do that than now take the code from China to the US, have to transition all these engineers. What am I gonna do? Cut off all the engineers' access? It it is gonna be such a gargantuan effort and things are gonna go wrong. And if one party wants to um, screw the other party, it's going to be very easy to do that. You know, let's not even say that it's TikTok. Maybe maybe Byte Dance wants to do the deal. Um, you know, you could just, there's so much room for bad actors, uh, not management, but just bad actors up and down the chain of just people that have dependencies that can do one little thing here, which just has huge ripple effects. I don't know. This, this could end badly. Um, I don't feel too good about this. I mean, I like it conceptually, but when I think about actually executing it and pulling it off, it just it just seems ripe for, uh, for issues. So we'll see what ends up happening with it. But, but I'd, I'd probably look to just, I'd, I'd probably look to buy both. I'd probably, if I'm Microsoft, I'm putting 15, $20 billion into this, I'd put 15, $20 billion into TikTok and then I'd go buy Triller. And I try and actually use Triller as my main hub and merge the TikTok stuff into Triller and, and, and use that product and engineering team as my base. Otherwise, trying to do this all on TikTok and port it over, aye, aye, aye. Uh, I'm not even an engineer and I get the heebie-jeebies thinking about it. Um, so we'll see if it actually ends up happening or not. Next topic um, is, so this just came out. Um, Livongo and Teladoc are merging. Teladoc is the virtual remote telemedicine platform. They've been on fire. They've like tripled in their stock price in the past few months. I think it was around 70 bucks a share. Now it's in the 200s, doing phenomenally well. And now Livongo and them are merging. And this, I guess, just came together in the past few months. Livongo specializes in remote coaching for diabetes, among other chronic conditions. You know, when I think about a Livongo, um, I believe they are doing this all with their own staff. You know, I don't think there's a platform dynamic with Livongo. So to me, kind of what I was talking about before, where you have many platform businesses that, you know, the platform IPOs, and then you try to put linear revenue streams on top of that. That's actually what this is to me. It's, it's a digital linear business, Livongo. They're providing coaching. You know, and I think my understanding is they're providing a lot of tools and services to at-risk patients. And so they'll work with an insurance company. The insurance company will say, hey, I want you to give your solution to, uh, you know, to this at-risk population. And if you can bring down or improve their health, um, you know, it's worth whatever money I'm paying to Lavango, or they can have like cost-sharing uh, revenue, you know, kind of cost-sharing plans to generate revenue. It's kind of like a linear digitally enabled, this remote coach for these at-risk patients with these different chronic conditions. Um, And so now, you know, where TeleDoc has the platform model, Livongo has that linear model. There might be parts of it that are platform, but you know, what you're doing is kind of taking the platform and the linear, you're putting them together. TeleDoc is going to be able to better monetize and now have a bundled service offering where they have, you know, the, the platform marketplace for remote telemedicine and these kinds of things. And then they have a, a much more kind of like premium, um, this linear offering from Livongo, which they can now uh, deliver much more kind of targeted results for these, for these patients uh, and these at-risk patients with chronic conditions. I think this would be really interesting. Um, I like it, actually. Again, you're kind of taking that platform and the, and the linear, you're putting it together. It's gonna allow Teladoc or the merged entity to have a much stickier solution with um, you know, with the healthcare companies, with the providers and, you know, all the players really involved in in that healthcare supply chain. So I think that'll be pretty interesting for them. I'll talk to you on Monday with Kara and we'll go more into some earnings season into Plat and some of these other areas. Thanks for joining us. Today on winner take all. I'll talk to you next week.